We lift you in our praises and in our hearts as our sovereign Lord. No one compares. And as we lift you, Lord God, we simultaneously bow our hearts and our knees. That not one of our agendas, not one of our desires may somehow become an idol to you, the true and living God. We bow before you, Father, in our hearts. And we thank you that with all that we are, we can trust ourselves to a God like you. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let me take a few moments of privilege this morning in our worship service to report on what I discovered when I went to Chicago. As you know, the Wesley Covenant Association, the Wesleyan Covenant Association was formed this Friday, and I was there as a founding member of of that group. Uh, I... Um, I was very, very, very encouraged by uh, the meeting. Um, I've never felt more resonance with a crowd of United Methodists in my life. Uh, it was freeing. It was spirit-empowering. It was humbling. Um, it's probably some of the most encouraging moments of ministry I've ever known. And to have that experience in this difficult hour for our church was just a huge personal blessing to me. So, so let me, if I can, very briefly, I'm going to leave you with some materials to read because I can't go that far in depth. But I want you to be as informed as you possibly can. You have a packet with you this morning that looks like this. It starts the Chicago Statement from the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Let me explain what happened there. As we gathered... They, they reminded us that even amongst us that were there, that we weren't completely unified in exactly what we thought would happen. That there was a spectrum of folks in the room. And the way they described that spectrum as those that were fearful that we were going to act too quickly and imprudently and, and, and miss opportunities, kingdom opportunities by doing so, that we should be patient, that we should hear from the bishop's commission and know what they say, not assume what they would say before that we would react. And then they said there was another group of people in the room that were ready to paint their faces blue and cry freedom. And I tried real hard not to take that personal. I I, I really did. Some of you know I'm in the habit of doing that around here from a few years back. Uh, and, And I had actually talked the week before to the guy who said it. So I, I, don't, I don't know if, if that was a personal comment or not. Uh, I, I'm actually somewhere in the middle. And, uh, uh, but they said it was important that wherever we were in that spectrum, that we remained united for the sake of our values. Um, in uh, 18 months, we should hear from the bishop's commission that was given the task of resolving uh, the impasse and the difficulties in our United Methodist discipline based on human sexuality, um, ordination of, uh, of uh, gays, lesbians, and homosexuals, practicing gays, lesbians, and homosexuals, and uh, all, all of those issues around which there's been continued controversy almost for 45 years now. 
So for 45 years through our normal processes, that, that tension has not grown away. But in the last, I would say, 10 years, 12 years, uh, the shift has not been towards more uh, uh, liberal wording of our position, but rather our annual conferences have continued to refine our statements in such a way that they were more and more conservative. And so at this last general conference, finally the um, liberal contingent, who in their own consciences think that what our discipline says is wrong and is not fair to people and is hurtful and is hateful, as they interpret it, um, I think if you read it, you might have a different take. I certainly have a different take. But, but they decided that since that was not resolved to their liking at this last general conference, that they were going to um, denounce the, uh, the discipline or at least be in defiance of it on all those issues. So the whole Western conference of our church is in defiance of, of our church's stated values and our uh, discipline, which we come to by a process that we've all owned, and it's a corporate process. But nevertheless, they stand in defiance. They have since then elected a um, known lesbian bishop uh, that's in a uh, committed relationship with um, a person of the same sex, and um, our, our church is, is fragmenting um, over this issue. Um, many are concerned that the church might divide. I would suggest to you that the church is already dividing. Uh, and those who are in the know simply said this, who have talked to both sides of the table in these issues, said change is definitely coming. Big change for the United Methodist Church. We don't know what that will look like. Basically, I see that there are three possible um, conclusions that this commission might make. One is to follow the liberal initiative and to change the wording of our United Methodist discipline to comply with those who are now in defiance. The other is to maintain the language of our discipline and hold accountable those who are in defiance. And the third is a middle position that is called a local option where each individual church and each individual within the United Methodist Church would function as they see fit. In other words, no stated position. Uh, let happen what happens. Uh, and the, um, you, you'll have there in, in your hands the actual statement that was written uh, by and adopted by this group. Um, it's right there on the front. You can read through that in great detail. Let me tell you what you're going to hear if I can summarize it. Uh, it's really mostly there in the last paragraph. We believe it is imperative for the commission to propose a plan that calls for accountability and integrity to our covenant and restores the good order of our church's polity. If the commission determines no such plan is possible, then we believe it should prepare a plan of separation that honors the consciences of all the people of the church and allows them to go forward in peace and goodwill. Uh, implied there is in their separate ways. A plan that requires traditionalists to compromise their principles and understanding of Scripture, including any form of the local option around ordination and marriage, will not be acceptable to the members of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Stands little chance of passing general conference, that's our body that would adopt this change, uh, would not de definitively resolve our conflict and would in fact lead to the fracturing of the church. 
So if I, the statement, I think, is most summarized there. It's a very strong statement about where those in the Wesleyan Covenant uh, Association will stand. Our church, you, you, you have the next page is an actual membership form. You can join as an individual, which I've already done. I have not spoken for our church. Our church council speaks for our church. And uh, that will happen only after the church council considers what is there and ratifies it. Within those statements, both as an individual and as a church, is a statement of fidelity to the doctrines of our church. Those that are listed in the last page that follows that articulates those, and you can read them in greater detail uh, on the website wesleyancovenantassociation.org if you'd like to read those in greater detail. Those are now, right now, the doctrinal standards of our church. We aren't changing anything. We're holding to them as they are, but we're adding an even more ancient document to those, which is the Nicene Creed, which, which would unite those that lift Jesus as, supri- as supreme and primary uh, across denominational boundaries and would unite us as a world church. Uh, it was amazing at this conference that it was not a bunch of Americans. It was obviously not just uh, American Christians and American United Methodists, there was a profound presence of the African church that was there. At one point, uh, the leader of worship felt led. He said, this is, we don't have the words for this. I just feel led to do this. And he started a song that he learned in Africa. And when he spoke that song, the whole African delegation responded back. And they came dancing to the front. And the whole place was led in this global song of praise. Um, there, there were moments like that throughout the whole day that were just God-touched. Um, sorry. Um, so, uh, additionally, uh, those memberships are open. You, you, if you want as an individual to join, there's a cost that goes with it. Uh, you, you will have a voice in the association if you are a member. There's a $100 membership fee. Uh, and churches will pay $1.50 per member um, in order to join as a church. You can join as a church, and if you, ha- if you join as a church, the church will have a vote in the council of the WCA. Uh, if you're a member, whoever's a member has a voice there, but not necessarily a, a-, a vote. Um, already, this organization is so large, there were 1,700 attenders. They were expecting uh, maybe 500. There were 1,700 attenders, standing room only. It, it was an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, so if you'd like to do that as an individual, feel free to do that. Our church will consider that through our, our processes, and our, our church council will give a, uh, an indication as to uh, the determination of our considerations. But this is the situation. While we await uh, the actual word of this bishop's commission— we are basically building a, uh, we're actually flying a plane as we build it. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, we, we, we are preparing in such a way that if the church remains faithful and accountable and has integrity, that we will be completely aligned in moving forward with our church. But we feel that these convictions align us with the convictions of our faith. And uh, this will be the uh, convictions with which we move forward. If our church allows us to do that, 
within its president's organization, we will. But if they decide in such a way that violate those convictions, we'll have to find another option. And uh, the Wesleyan Covenant Association is, is committed to uh, paving that path forward with those uh, of like minds and convictions. I heard this statement that really defines the, the moment. Uh, a pastor said, it's time if we are two churches no longer to pretend we are one. And if we are one church, no longer to behave as if we are two. It was so refreshing to be with uh, soul brothers and sisters. Just amazing. I, 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 I for the sake of, of respect and deference, in every United Methodist meeting I'm a part of, there's a sense of caution and of sensitivity not to offend someone who may have a completely different take on, on what you think is right about some very basic things. And if we, if we can't agree on what Christ has called us to do in some of the most basic things about our faith, then it's going to be very difficult for us to decide what is the right thing to do if we can't even decide what's the right thing. And so our, our church has reached in many ways kind of a, a liberal conservative impasse with doing anything of real impact to move the church forward and to be a part of the kingdom of God as it moves forward. Um, but let me just tell you about an experience uh, that I had in the airport. I sat down, I was concerned I was going to miss my plane and, and, and that the the shuttles were going to be overwhelmed with 1,700 people trying to get on two vans to get back to the, to the airport. So I, I left a little bit early, and, and I went over to the airport, and I sat down in the food court, and eight other ministers happened to sit down around me. Two, two of them were lay people, but they're all from the Western North Carolina Conference. And uh, we started out, as Methodists usually do, kind of, kind of feeling our way. So, so you're from where, and you, and you, you listen for for what convictions you might offend or, or upset, and, and it was okay. It was okay, and, and, and we shared a, a lot of very deep convictions about Christ, about our church, about its future, about being missional, about lifting Jesus up above every idol we might possibly place in this society, of not being a church that's being acculturated to the culture, but of being a church that's so focused on Christ that we become a transforming force in our culture. We talked for about 30 minutes, and in, in those 30 minutes, the transparency when those walls came down, was amazing. I was sitting next to a minister whose brother had died of AIDS. He was the only member of his family who gave his brother a place to go when he chose that lifestyle. And though he never agreed with it, his brother never doubted that his brother sitting next to me loved him. His brother died in his arms Sitting across the table from him was the pastor who had baptized his brother. Sitting across from him was the pastor who had done his brother's funeral. And, and within 15 minutes, our hearts were ringing with creative ideas of how we might better, with authenticity and with integrity, love our gay, lesbian, transgendered, what all those letters mean. And I just felt, finally, 
freedom to act according to our conscience. So, if, 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 if you want your pastor's interpretation, I think the bishop's commission has an impossible task before them. If 45 years of dialogue and discussion and parliamentary procedure and all that kind of stuff has not at all affected the divide, it's only increased it, then I don't know that it's humanly possible. It will be a, 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 not just a divine miracle. It will be a counter the possibilities of logic miracle. For those folks to come up with a a statement that can somehow satisfy the polarities of our church. And so we don't know what's going to happen. But we think it's right with staying true to our church and true to our present covenant and true to our present church. To let the process play itself out and for that decision to be spoken. So that when... We react. We are reacting to known realities, not projected realities, possible realities. So uh, over the next 18 months, we will be in a process of preparation to stay true to our convictions within the United Methodist Church. Or if the United Methodist Church cannot stay true to our convictions, that we will be prepared to move forward with our consciences intact. So, um, we've never been here before. We are flying a plane as we build it. Uh, These are not only times of difficulty within our church. Hear me, these are times of incredible possibility for our church. What would happen if all the money that we've been sending to general conference agencies and all that kind of stuff, almost 14% of our budget, $80,000 of this church's budget goes to those concerns? What if those monies going out to all those agencies and supporting that bureaucracy was redirected towards building the kingdom of God in partnership with our African brothers and sisters overseas where the spirit is exploding? Oh my gosh, I, I, I sat there with those ministers for 15, that, that's one thing they didn't let us do enough of, is talk to one another. That would have really produced a, a brouhaha probably, but anyway, uh, I, I told a couple of them afterwards, you know, secretly, I, I brought some blue paint if anybody wants some, but uh, uh, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I, I, think we're, I think we're proceeding with integrity. I think we're proceeding with uh, clarity, with our convictions intact. And uh, I don't know how the Lord could not honor um, the carefulness with which uh, this body of, of like-minded United Methodists is moving. I was uh, thoroughly impressed. And I individually am totally on board. Um, as a church, at church council, we'll, we'll have to, you know, if, if that's just a church council meeting or if it's an all-church meeting, we'll have to make some decisions about that. Um, but we are getting prepared for the future, and change is definitely coming one way or another, I think. But uh, those of us with these convictions are, are, are going to be prepared. We will be prepared. So it was, a, it was a very, very affirming time. What do you do? What do you do when you feel like you're just in total freefall? That happened in 2009 when a, when a plane 
left an airport on our east coast and suddenly three minutes up into the flight hit a, hit, hit a flock of geese. Both of the twin engines immediately blew out. They, they were completely powerless and in a free fall. Uh, Scully, as he's now lovingly called, uh, the captain of that flight had to react immediately. It was a life and death situation. No, no plane had ever survived whose power was lost that close to the ground. Uh, from the time they hit the geese to the time he put the plane down in the Hudson River was less than three minutes. All he had time to explain to the, to the, to the uh, passengers was brace for impact. And then he had to go back to business, finding a place to put it down. As you remember, he was flying over one of the most populated cities in, in all of America. And as he put it down in the Hudson, he also had the presence of mind to put it down in the Hudson as close as possible to ferry boats that might come in the freezing weather to rescue those that might be in the water. Brilliant captain. And you, you may still remember those 150, every single one of those people survived. They had been rescued from certain death as they stood out there on the wings in the ferry boats that had been just kind of monotonous instruments of transport all of a sudden became life-saving boats as they were gathering people from the plane and from the water. Every single person had been saved. I pray that God turns the United Methodist Church back into a rescue boat. I pray that at this dark hour that we would become not less of the church that God calls us to be, but more of the church that God calls us to be. Do you know that those people that survived that incident started meeting there afterwards? They, they, they just had some, they had been total strangers, but now it was like they were family. They started meeting often in these reunions. Reunions of the rescued, they called them. Scully was always there. They'd realized what they'd been saved from, certain death. But along the way, they started discovering what they'd been saved for. A couple that met on that flight that were total strangers. And he wanted to speak to her. It was at one of these reunions that he finally got up the courage to say hello. And today, they're married. Another couple that was on that flight... Uh, 21D and, and 22E, uh, they, they call each other by their seat names now. Uh, they, they, they were separating. Their, their marriage was coming apart, and something about the intensity of that tragedy drew them back together. They've now had a child three years to the date after the event was he born. Guess what they named him? Hudson. Hudson. <laughs> it's, it, it's no telling what God's going to do. When times get dark and when things get desperate, sometimes those are his grandest moments of turning the worst of days into the very best of days. And I'm completely convinced that that God can do this. And look around, all these people from so many different ways, places, and and so many different interests. Only Jesus could get this crowd together. I mean, look around. We are no longer strangers And you want to look at what holds us together. It's not a plane making a cross in a river. It's a Savior hanging on a cross 2,000 years ago. And because of that, week after week, we gather reunions of the rescued. So that we might become those that are no longer just in the transport of the day, but that we can become life 
offerers to those around us. That they might enjoy the same salvation that we have. At those reunions, Scully often lifts a cup after he's hugged and kissed the kids and fraternized with the crowd that is now a family. He often lifts, lifts a toast. And on the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took a cup. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Lord God, this morning we pray that the future of our church would not be about us. That it would be about you. And that you would somehow get a hold of us as broken and imperfect people, each and every one of us. And as a broken and imperfect church, Lord God, that you would make of us only that which your miraculous intervening grace can make. We trust ourselves, Lord Jesus, to that mercy, to that grace, to that Holy Spirit, even now. And though it feel like we are in free fall, Lord God, we thank you. That though we're bracing for impact, you've got this. And we can trust you. Help us to trust one another as well as as we move forward as carefully as we possibly can trying to be faithful to you. Lord Jesus, you took bread. You gave thanks to God and you broke the bread. And you gave it to your disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And he gave thanks to you, our Father, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and drink from this, all of you, for this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord God, in these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we give you thanks. We do remembrance. We pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit, not just on these gifts of juice and bread, but upon us, your people that enlivened by your spirit, we might let you live your life even through us. Make it so, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit this morning, we come to this, your table of grace. Invited by no one less than the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior that laid down his life to save us. In your name we come. Amen.